Hey everyone, this is Tony Holbein. You are listening to the Super Revenue Brothers with Raul and Tony. In today's episode, we are talking about how to kick off 2024 properly. Enjoy. Tony, do you have any big wishes or hopes personally, professionally for the next year? Yeah, like uh, a gazillion. Uh, most of them line up with my cap table as well and their wishes and their hopes. <laughs> so that's should. great. But no, I mean, so for Growblocks, kind of the, the whole commercial machinery is basically now starting, right? Uh, we're going to build a pretty fantastic product. Took us also a while to do it. Um, and now it's really about, you know, we haven't taken off product market fit yet. I think it's too early to tell, but uh, in parallel, you kind of need to start booting up, go to market fit motions and... And I think that's going to be a really, really big item for next year, basically kind of starting to walk in that direction. And on that way, obviously, there's some commercial milestones we want to hit, but that's going to be pretty key. And then yeah. then personally at home, I think it's just, you know, uh, you know, my family keep being healthy, keep being, uh, you know, growing in the right direction. So, I mean, kids growing up and being happy and healthy. So that's um, that's pretty important. Yeah. And uh, I, I know you have a... I really love your product, by the way. I really hope that that works out next year. It, it should, and, and I hope people are ready for it. And and some fantastic hires too, as as I know, for uh, lined up for next year. Mm -hmm. What about yourself, uh, Roll? Yeah, I mean, for now, as I talked about in the last episode, I'm free as a bird for the next couple of months, and I'm really just looking to enjoy that time off. Again, mostly be traveling to Asia probably for a couple months. Of course, we'll still be recording the podcast. And so uh, I, I guess uh, minor, but still quite important to me, hope is that this keeps going. I'm enjoying this. And surprisingly, there's a good feedback coming from people I don't know, reaching out to me on LinkedIn, sometimes even on events. And that kind of keeps you going, right? Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah. um, uh, it's you. I mean, it's it's fun with you, obviously. We you know, need to kind of figure out how to kind of do the whole technical thing with you, I don't know, being on a boat or, you know, biking around, you know, somewhere, kind of we need to figure <laughs> out how to get you a good internet connection. Well, we'll get there. I hear they have good internet in Asia. Uh, <laughs> I, th I think we'll, we'll solve that one. But related to that, business-wise, I think what yeah. we're going to talk about today, Tony, let, let's get into that because we want to connect to next year. Yeah. So what do you need to kind of kick off 2024 pretty well? So I have a couple of overarching ways and, and, and thoughts around this. So one is going to start out super boring. Sorry, folks. One is you being a commercial leader, take out the financial plan that someone created, uh, you know, two or three months ago and actually study it again. Look at it again. And don't only focus on, oh, can this be achievable? And like, how many people do we need to hire and all of that stuff? But I, could, I can promise you, looking at the financial plan today, will feel fundamentally different from when you looked at it three months ago. Mm -hmm. And what has changed is, oh yeah, you know, that's future Tony's problem. And now it's, no, it's today's Tony problem. And what I would recommend you do, instead of only looking at hires and targets and then these kind of things, look for those small little improvements that have been built into the model, like a conversion rate increasement there, an ACV there, you know, or we can maybe kind of pull up the quota over there and, you know, actually write them all down and convert them into a project plan uh, because that's the often forgotten and missed part of executing the plan extremely well. All of those initiatives you actually need to run. 
and there's a good chance you might be surprised of how many things you will actually need to do by when. But, you know, in order not to screw up this year now, I think this would be a great thing for you to, you know, and I have a couple of others in my drawer here in a, in a minute, but this would be a great way to kind of get organized. That's probably what mm -hmm. I would recommend for just to kick off the year. Yeah, uh, agree. And, and a couple of, I wouldn't call them hacks, but uh, things that really make this kind of thing work is, um, so also following up on plans is, is quite a big deal, right? So uh, I see companies sometimes just planning and then maybe revisiting that uh, once every quarter for the board meeting. But the follow-up is actually what the where the magic is to me. And yeah. one thing that I think is quite important, and it is a bit maybe painful because you have to take talk to a lot of people, is I'm a big fan in a plan like that or in strategy in general um, of making implicit assumptions explicit. And so what I mean by that is that you look at an Excel file or wherever it is you're doing your planning, and almost always, it's, it's, some things are quite visible, right? So you're assuming this kind of revenue, this kind of churn, and this kind of increase, upsell, whatever. And those are typically laid out. If you did that, if you haven't done that, then you should definitely do this part. But then there's also a lot of things that you might not have put into this plan that are assumptions that you have. And maybe you haven't stated them explicitly yet. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of power in explicitly stating, hey, we assume that we get more proficient in selling. And how will that uh, manifest itself, for example, in decreased sales cycles and increased sales conversion? Mm -hmm. And so try to model that in if you can. It doesn't mean it has to be incredibly complicated. Um, I'm not an Excel whiz, but uh, I can even do that. And so I'm pretty sure you'll find someone in your company who will be able to input a couple numbers and kind of build a model around that. Yeah. But the beautiful part about that, and I know this goes very much into what Growblocks does, which I'm a big fan of, is uh, that you can then also monitor them. And that's the beauty of that. If you assume that your conversion rate will go from 10 to 15%, I don't know, from lead to opportunity, then you can look throughout the year and say, did that actually happen? Because if it didn't, it might be that we're not going to reach our goals, everything else staying the same. Yeah. Love the implicit to explicit. I think I'm going to steal this from your role. It's a much better way of kind of describing it. I've seen it myself happen to me, but I've also seen it happen to other folks. It's basically, hey, you know, somewhere in August is a jump in revenue and suddenly no one can explain why that actually is. And if you really dig into the implicit stuff and make it explicit, then you know already in May or, in, you know, now for the matter of that fact, that there's suddenly a change that apparently, you know, takes effect in August and you need to be aware and kind of need to be building towards that. But, mm. you know, having maybe, you know, maybe not, but having talked enough about, you know, plans, one, one of my tricks to get 2024 started really well is set the pace from, you know, day two of the year. So let's just say you, all of you guys come back and, you know, second of January or, you know, whenever, um, really setting the pace in the sense of, those are the metrics, those are the things we need to achieve, ideally on a daily level, and start holding people accountable for that. So what I mean with that specifically, and this has worked great for me, we had a very crazy strong focus on opportunity generation. So you know, mm -hmm. in this given month, we need to generate 100 or 1,000 or whatever opportunity. And the thing is, you can break it down to dailies, right? So how many opportunities do we need to create per day? in order to hit that number. And, you know, it will be a slow start and I get it, but you can actually use that slow start of the team to start driving some urgency like, hey, you know, first week, we only hit, you know, we're not pacing. We're pacing towards something completely different. 
and you can use that gap already there in order to drive urgency next week and so forth in order to get your production up, right? And that's what I mean with, you know, set the pace super early on and then lean into this as much as you can. Maybe also adding to that, so so far we've talked a bit about the quantitative aspects of things, um, just on a very qualitative level, especially if you're a bit earlier stage. And I hope you have someone, if not, maybe you have to do that as founder, who is a bit more junior, like let's say an intern or something, working student. I think it can be very beneficial to outline the year a little bit and to do a little bit of research on the year and uh, specifically for things such as high impact events. So that could be conferences, events. I And, and obviously this, this sounds very obvious, but I would say that more companies than not are surprised by events creeping up on them and then the workload is increasing because they want to attend it or they're figuring out do they want to attend it or not? Do they want to mm -hmm. budget it in? They forgot about that. Who would they send? Oh, but this guy is on an opportunity. Her, she's uh, away for another event. So I think sort of laying out the year, especially because typically events and conferences have sort of peak seasons and wrapping up your mind a little bit about what will happen. Maybe something like major technical releases that will happen throughout the year. Yeah. So for Q3, this update to this and this tool is happening. Sort of putting it into one I don't know if a calendar is the right solution. And to be frank, I don't know what the perfect sort of visualization would be. Yeah. But having this on your agenda, sort of having a vision for the year is quite powerful and really makes it so that you understand even better what you just said, which is, well, we don't have the year laid out perfectly even, but we have to produce a lot of opportunities in January and February because in March, there's these two conferences that could be big impact event for us. We have to go there. We know that in March, we're not going to be able to produce the same uh, amount of output. I mean, there are lots of like planning things actually when you, you know, not, we, we, we're very stuck maybe in the planning act side here, but, mm. um, so we had a, we had a podcast coming out. I don't know when with Thomas Hansen, mm. he was the CRO of UiPath taking them public. He was the CEO of carbon black, some like cybersecurity thing. And currently he's basically one level up of CRO. <laughs> whatever that actually is, kind of president yeah. of Amplitude for commercial. Everything commercial mm -hmm. is understanding. And we talked with him about like face-to-face -face stuff. You know, I don't want to take too much away from the episode, but really, really interesting point from his perspective was like, well, yes, seeing people face-to-face, -face, and you talked about it almost with, you know, events and stuff, that can be a bit more expensive than just dialing up and dialing in. But what he recommends is basically, and I think he called it planful, <laughs> which, you know, I hate the word actually, okay. but basically kind of, he knows, well, in uh, February 15th, I'm going to be in Paris and on March 13th, I'm going to be, I don't know, in Berlin and so forth. He basically kind of is laying out his travel plans and then he's communicating them with those local teams that he's visiting. And then he has them book meetings for him in town basically kind of tend to be able to either go to partners, go to existing customers, go on to new business opportunities, you know, visit, visit, you know, whatever else might be there in order to really kind of meet them face to face, right? And that wouldn't be possible for him if it was too late or he kind of arrives and nothing is prepared and so forth. So um, this guy is kind of a different way of approaching the year almost in this sense, not on the macro level mm -hmm. that I think you and I are discussing right now, but almost on the micro level for him specifically, to figure out how his team can best support him, you know, when he's jetting around the world and then how can he get the best really out of that, out of that mileage that he's kind of putting in. I mean, when you get to that level, obviously 
uh, the game becomes even more micro. And by the way, yeah. he's a phenomenal guy. Uh, we had him at the PacCon two years ago as a speaker. He did one of the more, I think, one of the top three talks when it when it came to attendance. So check that out. And, and so don't worry about the staying only on planning because I have a couple progressively softer, I would call it topics. But one yeah. more thing that I would like to add that, uh, and maybe it's a German tradition. I don't even know if you have that in Denmark. Du um, Frühjahrsputz. I wouldn't know what the English word for that is, <laughs> but it's sort of a... Actually, what would be the English term for that? I, I want to say good riddance, actually, but I, I don't think that's true. Okay, so like it's sort of... Uh, in Germany, we have this thing where in the beginning of the year, you try to clean up uh, very well and then clean your apartment and throw out old stuff and, and all that kind of, kind of, kind of, kind of jazz. And so if let's say you don't have the perfect setup uh, for CRM, you don't have the perfect data setup and all these things, and you sort of have this always in the back of your mind, hey, man, like we're, we're not doing too well on data, or I know that a lot of stuff that's in Salesforce is wrong and opportunities are not being closed by salespeople and they're not inputting all their activities and all that, maybe do that. And if you don't have the perfect setup in the beginning, that's fine. But maybe plan in for a day in the beginning of the year. Make it an event if you can. I've been in a company that did that, sort of to start and kick off the year and and have like, I don't know, like a wine or, or beer in the evening, but sort of make it a, a thing to, to clean out data for one day, clean out calendars, go to uh, inbox zero with your sales team. And and these things are quite helpful. Like if, if you don't have it perfectly set up so that it cleans itself every single week, plan that in maybe once or twice a year. Yeah. I mean, and, and, you know, staying on the nitty gritty side, I think, um, and this goes almost a little bit to the sales ops, rev ops team, if you have it. One thing is have the commission plans actually prepared, not start working mm. on the commission plans on your know, 1st of January, but actually have them there to be rolled out in the first week of January. If you have a book of business kind of approach, or if you have territories and accounts and so forth, have them ready for, you know, 1st of January instead of rolling them out in the middle of February and so forth. Have targets clearly aligned and have them ready to go instead of working on it, right? Kind of really hmm. all of those things that are actually necessary to kick off the year that you didn't get to because you were in the Q4 end of year kind of rush and then there was Christmas and gifts and New Year's. Have all of that ready so you can actually, you know, start the year out running instead of slowing everything down and creating all kinds of excuses for everyone why they're not doing their job yet. It's like, well, you know, I don't have my commission plan yet. I don't have my books yet done. And, you know, all of these other things. Try and remove all of those excuses when you walk into the year. So this sounds a little bit, and also some points you mentioned before and that I mentioned, um, you, you could kind of make a bigger thing out of that. And I mentioned the word before, but I, I'm, I'm wondering, curious, I'm curious, are you a fan of, I don't know, like commercial kickoffs? And have you done that? I don't know, like in, I don't know, 10th of January, maybe as an offsite, get the team together. I don't know. Uh, do you like that kind of thing? Yeah, I actually really like it. I think <clears throat> I think the typical SCO, so sales kickoff, I think that's bullshit. I don't think people should be doing that. I think what people should be doing, though, is I call it either revenue kickoff or go-to-market kickoff. There's no reason just to do it for salespeople, by the way. This is not a... You know, even your president's club, and yes, keep it for your sales folks, but even a president's club doesn't actually need to be only salespeople. It's not only salespeople generate revenue. Mm -hmm. So what I've been doing a lot is <laughs> actually quarterly. We've done okay. those go-to-market kickoffs quarterly. And the main purpose of these things is not to clean your books and get your commission plans and all this boring stuff. The main purpose is actually to celebrate, get everyone wrapped Love up. It. 
and uh, sure you have some additional pieces in there that are, you know, I sometimes call them infotainment. Yes, hey, here's a product rollout and, you know, we want to show you the early version of that. Hey, here's a new whatever we are planning this year. Here's, I don't know, whatever. Kind of put a little bit of informational tidbits in there, but don't overdo it. Don't, you know, tire everyone out. What we used to spend, <laughs> what feels like, I think, 75% of the whole thing is on pointing out who achieved an overachieved target, kind of literally with walking on stage, getting, you know, applause for like whatever time for the ones that really crazily overachieved, by the way, not for everyone. We used it to do promotions and announce promotions. You sometimes had people that didn't know that they were being promoted and then give them the shout out in front of everyone. And this worked with you know, the the standard promotions, oh, SDR, you've booked 30 meetings and now you're like a, I don't know, mid-level SDR or something. But it also worked with VP announcements. Hey, that guy made VP, right? And then the whole team was crazy about it and was just such a perfect mood. And then obviously you kind of cut the whole thing around, and this is Denmark, uh, you cut the whole thing around like 2 p.m. And then you move <laughs> over and start having some beers. So, I mean, the day is done. And, you know, you want to have it on a Friday, by the way, with, you know, all kinds of uh, events coming afterwards. But that worked extremely well for us. <laughs> I, I think it wouldn't be too different in Germany, to be honest. I, I guess we can do beers around 2 p.m. as well. And 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 I've also been part of this kind of event uh, uh, a lot, especially early in my career. Uh, and I, I think they were almost always good. And and especially the first couple of leaders that, that I had when I was more junior, they they always put a lot of emphasis on the fun aspect of things and on the yeah. I mean you could call it culture whatever but just fun and and one of the things that we did I don't know I'm curious also what you think about that is uh, we do a lot of spiffs uh, especially at the beginning of the yeah. year yeah. which I always wondered because I thought like at the beginning of the year people are already sort of juiced up to do the normal work and and I would introduce spiffs a bit later but we would do crazy phone challenges like. One of the weirdest ones, and that's maybe just a, a funny anecdote, was they had like a, a whole morning, have the longest discussion with a, a prospect on the phone without talking about the product. Uh, so just yeah. talk about them, just do small talk. And uh, by the way, what do you think the longest, the record was in that morning? How long could you talk to a prospect on a cold call without them even asking about the product or talking about it? <laughs> so this is one of those cases where I just always like crazy overshoot and then I kill the story for the other person. But let's just say <laughs> a reasonable number, you know, to guess would be like 10 minutes. No, actually you could have overshot. It was about 45 minutes. I was about to say 45 minutes, by the way, uh, but it, then it I was, was like, that. ah, it's going to totally kill it. So it's like, I'm going to say 10 minutes. It was that. And it was, it, maybe it doesn't sound that epic, but it's one of the most epic stories I have of sort of sitting in the in the sales room because at some point there was a big sales kickoff. There was 30 salespeople. At some point we had like 25 of them listening on that call and counting the numbers and sort of putting bets on, on how long it will take. And that's just a funny thing that I, I think most people wouldn't forget. And we were sort of, it was a guy, we were, we were giving him sort of cards with new topics to talk about and what to ask and how long to keep going. <laughs> it was just fun. It was just a fun thing. I don't know how productive it was. Although I would say in that particular exercise, people learned a little bit that sometimes people just like to talk to people and maybe you can leverage that a bit in sales. Yeah. But in general, getting back to how does it help you for 2024, getting a little bit of fun injected, right? Getting a little bit of sort of the spark for especially teams where when they're remote or sitting in their cubicle all day or nowadays, you don't even have to be remote. You can just be uh, or in different locations, I mean. Yeah. Uh, you can just be sitting at home all day and, and it's already quite difficult to, to, to keep that up. 
and sort of just having a couple of fun aspects to relate back to or to still talk about is helpful. I like the proactive spiff idea because usually when I think Tony, by the way, we, we, we still have to explain what a spiff is. So, so yeah, tell so us what it's that is. like a sales performance improvement fund. I think when you look it up, but I usually spell it with two F's. I don't know what the other F is for, but basically mm -hmm. it's, um, it's a little mini game. It's a little comp competition that you play. And, you know, one could be, you know, the users, I've never heard that one before. The longest cold call without talking about product. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. That would be a challenge, basically. Um, and then you have, hey, every meeting that you know, the person booking the most meetings this week gets another $500. Or, mm -hmm. hey, the first one to close a deal for this product gets an iPhone. Or whatever it might be. Basically, all kinds of like game show competitions, basically. But around selling stuff. It's usually a sales thing, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and um, my point was, usually it's being used as a defensive tactic from the management team. It's like, ah, we're behind on calls. Let's do a spiff. Are we behind on meetings? Let's do a spiff. Are we behind <laughs> on pipeline? Let's do a spiff, right? And I think it's totally fine. Absolutely fine. I'm a big fan of spiffs and I kind of use them religiously and, and too much sometimes. But usually from a defensive posture, actually, like so you, you kind of some, somehow you're screwing up. I really like the, hey, let's be proactive. Let's enter the year strong and let's help this with a couple of spiffs on top for people to get started. I kind of like that approach a lot. And I, th I think we've talked about spiffs once or twice before already on this podcast. Uh, we, we have to do an episode on them at some point. So because yeah. both you and me have, have seen sort of the power that it can bring. So let, let's put that on the plan. It's such an American and UK thing. And I think for Germans, and I think a lot of Germans are listening to us here, by the way. Uh, I think for Germans, it's like unheard of. It's like, what? You know, this is yeah. not right. This should not be like <laughs> this. <laughs> this disturbs the peace, the daily activities. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and so have you ever heard of like um, spiffs for non-sales people, actually? I, I don't know if I would call that a spiff, to be honest. But one of the things that I've also seen and also been part of and done that, um, so... I, just for background information, so I have done sales in a couple different companies before, but I was almost never always only in a sales role. It's I was, for example, business development, or I was sales ops. I was building a sales ops team, but I always understood it as my role to also do sales because I thought that helped me do sales. And so maybe that's important to understand that information a bit. But one of the things that we did at, at one company was that we had sort of the switch roles for one day, put a marketeer into an SDR role for one day. They get a quick training, like one hour and then hit the phones and also put sort of uh, the salespeople into the marketing role for a day, try to sort of build a campaign, try to figure out where to spend the money and actually spend some money a little bit, sort of uh, play, play money. And I was in that as a salesperson going to the marketing side. Wouldn't call that a spiff, but that was actually a prize sort of for the best performing marketeer in, uh, as an SDR and for also for the best performing salesperson understanding the, uh, the data and everything. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's the only thing that, that comes to mind. Do you have anything? No, no, I have nothing, nothing, nothing at all. It's uh, it it always kind of this this dirty thing that you execute, and dirty stuff usually is with the sales team. I feel. <laughs> so I had, you know, on my list there was like a little like sales kickoff talk, but you kind of uh, you kind of took this away. Do you have another thing that you recommend doing uh, early in the year? So, and this applies specifically if you to to the leadership, but I would also say to revenue operations, is 
get your strategies aligned with with the rest of the company as best you can. And, and this is not necessarily only budgets or only business plan, right? Strategy is also, hey, what are we actually trying to achieve this year? And, and make sure that that is at least somewhat correlated to what marketing is trying to do and also when they're trying to do it. Obviously, you should be doing this best case at least monthly uh, or, or, I mean, weekly. I don't know what kind of meetings you have. We talked about that yeah. in another episode. But use this as an opportunity to sort of lay out the year again. Hey, uh, you're looking to hire this kind of person during the year. Sweet. You're looking to start ABM mid-year or something like that. We're ramping up marketing spend here and there. We're looking to look to go into a different market. And what does that mean from a strategic point of, point of view? I think a lot of companies have that already. But still, very often, they're so surprised by, and, and they disperse throughout the year by what one department is doing. I think this whole idea of you know budgeting and planning, I think this is mentally exhausting people, by the way. And I think that's almost a problem because to a degree, and maybe you just need to find another word for it. Why don't we say it's go-to-market forecasting, which, which maybe is something that you don't confuse with planning because planning is boring and planning is done by finance. But it is some is a motion, it's a habit, it's a tradition that you build, it's a ritual that you build that you go through not just, you know, once a year, but depending on the velocity of your organization, maybe once a quarter or, you know, once a month or something like that, where you just, you know, realign some of the things that maybe have started to slowly creep away and misalign. And those mm -hmm. things could even be, let's just say, so this, I hate this, I hate this conversion rate. Um, you know, example, or this, but let's just say something is sliding in the wrong direction, right? And now it's like, hey, you know, that's what it is. We kind of now need to understand how we're going to hit our target with this conversion rate or cost per lead or hiring pace or whatever, actually not getting where we need to go. I think that needs to be part then of your quote unquote planning or, you know, potentially much better go to market forecasting going forward, right? You now have understanding that this metric isn't working out for you as you thought it would be. And that now means you need to either create more opportunities or you need to get your ACV up or you need to do something else. And that needs to be part of what you're then going to do in Q2, for example, or, you know, generally speaking, the future itself, right? So mm. I feel while you and I are talking a lot about planning and strategy, really, I think how it might land with some people listening is like, oh, shit, didn't I finally kind of tick this off in, in November or December or October, whenever you did it? But I feel there's a little bit of a muscle that's missing in the go-to-market teams that have this more short-term, you know, looking into the future. Let's not call it planning, but that that kind of ritual in order to make sure you're steering and navigating in the right way. Yeah. I mean, you make a good point there. It is difficult to have to put all that planning into sort of this short time frame and then there's also all the requirements from the investors and the board and all that. And then you have the HR planning and then the, obviously the budget and maybe you need to raise money. I get that. I like the putting a new word onto it, but I, I would still stress. And I mean, there's a reason that you and me both kind of talk about these topics, that they are important. I mean, it's yeah. whether you like it or not, you have to do it. So maybe the hack is finding finding a way to make it a bit more fun or sort of put it in a different light. But one thing that maybe make it more concrete and go completely away from this planning thing. Uh, and that just came to mind. One thing that also works quite well at the beginning of the year is sort of trying to instill kind of new habits or new ways of doing things. And you have a bit more leeway at the beginning of the year also from your team if you don't get it perfectly right. And one thing that I've seen work quite well is go out and try that new tooling thing that you've been sort of talking about and trying to 
maybe implement or not and budget or not and just go and do a couple of trials uh, and and people have a bit more sort of even excitement about that and i i feel like sort of january february are good months to start something like a gong or or a groblox actually maybe or something like uh maybe try this kind of new ai thing that this kind of account executive has been calling about you forever yeah. um and and you might just find out some new things and and the beautiful part about that at least it's sort of experience that i'm riffing off here uh, is at the beginning of the year people have a bit more excitement for that um they have a bit more openness and they're also more tolerance to when it's not perfect yet as opposed yeah. to the end of the year you know q4 everyone's on edge and everyone's trying to achieve whatever they're trying to get to until the end of the year as well their own promotions but also the revenue goals i think this is a good time to try something like that and who knows maybe this is when you finally get gong to work for you for example yeah no i, th I think that's right i think that's right i think what sometimes gave me a lot of energy to do this forward-looking stuff for some reason i'm getting Back to that topic now myself, but I think I'm paranoid. Uh, I think I'm paranoid about, <laughs> you know, missing targets. And once you understand the funnel, once you understand the bow tie, once you understand kind of your revenue engine, you kind of realize, you know, when you walk into this Q1 miss, right? Your forecast isn't there. The gap is there. You, you're not going to hit your target. You kind of know, you know, and you're going to tell everyone, you know, another story, by the way. And I did this the same, but you kind of know, like, shit, I could have actually seen this coming in November. I could have seen this coming in December. I could have done something maybe in January. I could Now I can't do anything about this anymore, right? That kind of mm. paranoia, <laughs> I think that that gave me, you know, strength or motivation. And it's usually coming from a stress and or anger or frustration spot, like somewhere in my belly, I feel. That's where it's coming from. You lay in bed and you're kind of anticipating you might have an issue And it's like, well, if you will have an issue in three months from now, you can tell already today. So where is it and what can you do about it, right? So, and I think this is, I feel, and you know, actually my first boss ever said this to me. He's like, Tony, I actually really like to hire uh, slightly paranoid people. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I think I took that with me and then I implemented that. And it's like, you know, try and, you know, challenge yourself and kind of think about, What are the things I'm gonna I'm gonna you know uh, you know screw up in two or three months or six months from now potentially? What where are the things going gonna go wrong? Right, instead of a post mortem, you know, almost sit down with a team and do a pre mortem. So why are we gonna Oof. miss Q2? What what are gonna be the reasons? Why is it gonna fail? And and then work your way backward from that actually, and that can also give you some really cool insights on how to actually execute better and also drive this motivation throughout your team. Have you ever done a pre mortem role? You know, like I, I'm, I'm chuckling now uh, because so I don't know if he's listening in, but Rainer would love that you just mentioned this because one of the things that Rainer has been pushing a lot at Project A lately, which I'm actually fully on board with, but it's a bit more difficult to operationalize, is having pre-mortems for bigger projects and especially sort of thinking about all the ways that the project will or could go wrong and also communicating them very openly once the project starts. So let's say you have the revenue engine project six months with a venture of ours. Think about how it will go wrong, right? Hey, it will be slow on this end because this is sort of the highest risk part of things. We will have kind of, I don't know, difficulty getting along with each other. And this is how we'll mitigate that. And um, we've done this exercise once or twice uh, in a smaller uh, kind of way. But this, maybe he would even like this kind of paranoid uh, approach to things. Uh, I think this can be actually be very beneficial, especially if you link that to how will we mitigate that now if the problem has yes. not occurred yet. 
So, you know, I'm doing this sometimes with, and maybe it's a misfitting uh, example here for the audience, but I'm sometimes doing this with product releases. Mm. So I'm basically kind of today or like, I don't know, a month ago sitting there and we kind of think about the next product pieces we want to bring to market. And you obviously always think about what's going to be the biggest bang, kind of what's the coolest thing. And you have all kinds of hopes tied to this. And it's like, yes, that's obviously the thing we need to build. And then I sometimes sit there and ask myself the question, okay, we've released this thing. It failed. What will be my next idea? What will be the thing that I'm now thinking about we're doing next, basically? And to a certain degree, that basically kind of gives you already now the kind of ability to stress test whether or not that was the right prioritization to go about things. Your confidence level might have not changed, but you're suddenly looking at it from a different angle. It's like you're playing chess against yourself and you kind of just switch the board around and suddenly you're like, well, maybe this other thing isn't also so bad to potentially prioritize. I think that's very much a, a product kind of approach. And then, you know, to your point in, in, in a go-to-market sense, then really, you don't really have the, it's not really a prioritization in so many cases. It's just a, you know, good execution thing that then really kind of comes out of this, right? And, and for mm. me, what it helped for me is to crystallize what are the things that really need to be true? Kind of what, what are the things we really actually need to achieve by when in order to kind of hit that milestone? And, and doing this pre-mortem then kind of also gave me really nice insights in, oh, you know, felt insights or, you know, mind insights, if you will, to be like, okay, wait a minute, actually, it all will come down to this one thing. You know, the other things we have kind of under control, business as usual, yes, we need to monitor, make sure it doesn't fail, but this piece over here is kind of the single point of failure. So what can we now do to manage around it as much as we can, right? And, and I think that kind of approach is extremely helpful. So let me ask you, because I find this curious, I find this interesting. Do you do that for yourself or is it an exercise you do with the, let's say, product teams on the product side or the commercial team? Both and both. I sometimes do it uh, just for myself when, you know, I think that's, you know, I don't need to call a meeting. I can just think about it on my way to work or something like this. But mm. I do, especially prioritization sessions with a product team, I kind of ask that question. And I don't say, you know, pre-mortem because like that doesn't, it's not cool. It's not cool enough. <laughs> but basically kind of, okay, now we're in a new universe. We released this feature. We're checking usage stats and it flops. Why did, you know, yeah. why is actually no one interesting and what should we've been doing instead? Or what is now the next new idea you know, let's just say you want to get your usage up to, I don't know, or you want to get the specific persona into the tool or something like this, right? You release a feature and you think like, mm, you know, that that is probably our best bet in order to achieve that. But once you then jump forward and it's like, it's there and didn't work, what's your next best idea? And then whatever that next best idea is, you then need to compare it to the idea that you currently have. And sometimes that changes your mind actually, but also it creates a little bit of a sure, like, uh, you know, intellectual curiosity, you could say, but it also removes the, removes your attachment to that idea a little bit. It helps yeah. you to be like, hey, it's maybe I'm talking myself out of this thing now, right? Which actually is good because that's like such a bias. You, it's so difficult to shed this and push this away. And, you know, by you almost saying like, hey, there's another alternative here that I just talked myself into, suddenly you're kind of looking at these things a little bit more objectively, Right. And, you know, pushing this to the team and having those conversations, I wouldn't say it's a thing we do always, but it's certainly some something that sometimes comes up, yes. And, and I, I really love that part. This, and so, so to me, this is my last point, by the way. <laughs> so finishing up this uh, episode there on my end. As a leader, 
I, I do think that it is a big part of your job and your role to have the team trust in sort of the mission and, and where you're trying to go. And because otherwise you're sort of doomed to fail anyways. Like if people don't believe that it's possible yeah. and that you're going to get there, then you might not as well try at all. So there needs to be a certain level of trust and excitement and also belief in, in what you're trying to do. But it's important to not get yourself caught up in your own bullshit sometimes and sort of check yourself on that as well. And one of the things, by the way, so once I started working a couple of years ago with a coach, that was something that a coach was very, very useful for. It's possible to do that on your own, but just having an external coach who's a bit experienced or who can also just doesn't even have to be more experienced, but can just mirror your thoughts, make implicit thoughts explicit, and maybe also call you out on your bullshit if you have a good relationship with them. It's very good to have that sort of laying out laid out in front of you and then you can still decide what to do with that and how to communicate that with the team while instilling confidence and while making sure that you go as hard as you can but yeah. it's good to be conscious of your own blind spots no exactly and the thing is actually what and maybe we're going to go <clears throat> go over a little bit time wise but what i learned is those blind spots they're kind of moving when you're looking six months ahead the way you think about the future you're way more okay with blind spots because hey man it's six months out who knows right kind of the level of detailed thinking through and the level of scrutiny is just so much lower and then you know you write this down and say hey that's the plan that's what we're doing and then actually as you then get closer to the six months the scrutiny of this thing actually has to increase and it does but if you don't look back and it's like hey that's what we wanted to do you might not actually realize that oh you're kind of doing something wrong here right so kind of having that Having that ability to, um, you know, resurface some of your previous thinking, check that with your ongoing thinking, and maybe having someone call it out for you. It doesn't, you know, it could be a coach, could also just be a diligent RevOps person or fp yeah. person or your partner or your spouse. I mean, it doesn't actually matter, but someone just putting your nose into the, <laughs> to the pile of, I don't know, excrements to kind of realize, hey, wait a minute, this year, this sounded super logical and clear and detailed enough for the scope that we had six months ago for, you know, this time frame. It's tomorrow though, and now we actually need to know what needs to happen when, and we have a bunch of new information here that we didn't have six months ago. So is it actually still the right thing, right? So having that flexibility, and don't want to use the agile word because I kind of hate it in this context, but having that yeah. flexibility and also this, some people might see it as a weakness when they're changing their plans to, you know, so I think some CFOs think so, by the way. And I think you need to, in order to survive, I think you need to be much better in adapting and being having less ego about your, your, yourself six months ago, right? We're getting very philosophical here, but you know, all of these things I think are good to kick off 2024 properly. Man, but you added one thing right there that it scratches a nerve that I have, which is this executive need to look back at things that they've done and, and, and still sort of maintain the appearance as, a, as if everything was great at the time. And yeah. I do think that this is a big mistake. Any profession out there, if you've ever tried anything, I don't know, like learn a music instrument, be, I don't know, write poetry, do whatever, comedy, and whatever it is you're trying to do. If you don't look back for on the stuff you did or wrote half a year ago and one year ago, and you cringe at it, or if you don't look back at the first episode of that podcast after you've done 20 and you think, mm -hmm. man, that was not the best one, then you fucked up. Like, how could you not get better when you're trying to do this thing? And where was your learning curve at the time? And it doesn't matter if you're 50 with 30 years experience or 22 with two years of experience or zero. If you don't look back at the stuff you planned and did and wrote and thought half a year ago and one year ago, you're not doing your job well.
and yeah. I stand by that. And again, maybe very philosophical, but this is really much in alignment with what you said. Don't be so stuck up on those plans. I know that there are serious things behind that and there's budgets and people's salaries and all that. And you should be very serious about that, but you should always rewire your approach to things. And obviously, the, the moment sort of that you're saying, hey, I need to maintain my planning from three years ago, you're also admitting that you didn't learn anything in those three years at the same time, <laughs> yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. This is, this is, ex so that's, that's why, by the way, I think this whole budgeting thing is so broken because you sit down yeah. around Christmas, you get it approved from the board and then you're not allowed to touch it. And, and that's where <laughs> then I always say like, well, you know, it worked out really nice for Q1. Everyone is sitting in Q1. Great. But now you acquired three months of new data, of new information. Shouldn't this kind of flow into your decision making? And then a lot of people yeah. saying, no, no, the budget is the budget. And Ordnung muss sein. And that's actually fucking stupid, right? Anyway, Raul, I think we need to wrap here. I think we've kind of said it five times already. So if you want to kick off 2024 in the right way, kind of get started in the right pace, you know, review the plans you had, you know, make the implicit explicit. Maybe have a go-to-market kickoff, ditch your sales kickoff, you know, maybe do some proactive spiffs. And uh, yeah, and realize that you probably made some mistakes in the last six months, 12 months in the past. And be egoless about it and lean into it instead and maybe adapt and adjust a little bit what you're doing forward. I think those are probably the takeaways from this from the session here. Roel, thank you yeah. so much for having that wonderful conversation here. Thank you. And just personally from obviously Tony and me, anyone listening this year, thanks for listening in. We just got it, we just got started. Merry Christmas and a great start to the next year. Yes, absolutely. Have a good one. Bye.